Or for those of you who are joining us for the first time or first time in a while, I just want to update you just kind of where we're at in this series here called Participation Trophies. As many of you know, I don't want to get too, too much into it, but the reason we're looking at Participation Trophies is because we just want to redefine what it means to participate in the Christian life. And we don't want to transpose a cultural view of participation, which is, uh, it's a little bit light, and it's a, it's, it gives a little too much credence to what it means to participate. participate. Um, and so we, we want to take a biblical view of that, and we want to reorient ourselves. And, and we're taking mainly from Philippians 3, 10 through 11, looking at what the Apostle Paul said. When he said, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We, we want to take on the same mindset that Paul had when he said, I, I want to participate in that. I don't want to just look at it. I don't want to just commemorate it. I don't want to make uh, just a story out of it. But I actually want to become a part of the story. And so that's what we have been going for. And we've been doing it now for four weeks. This is week number five. I only have one more week with you after this. I'm sad that it's coming to an end, but I've been, I've been blessed by this time um, that we've had together. and hope you guys have been blessed as well as we've been journeying through this. But today, I want to uh, look at what it means to participate in the mind of Christ. Last week, we talked about the servanthood of Christ. And if you remember, we, we looked specifically at what it meant to be a servant. And in simple terms, it was somebody who has been entrusted with the Word of God to go and carry it forth. And we looked at what Jesus did, where he washed the filth off of his disciples' feet. And, and we, we heard the call from God that we are called to go as carriers of the word and to wash the filth off of people's lives. The filth of the world that is built up on their feet because they've been spending time in the world. We've been called to use the word of God to wash that off and to give them dignity, to give them godly identity. So we're going to transition from that over to what it means to participate in the mind of Christ this morning. But I want to start off, uh, I don't know if many of you know this, it, it always seems to shock some people, but I am half Mexican, all right? I'm half, yeah, woohoo is right. I, I take pride in that. I, I am half Mexican. And a lot of people don't believe me. They, they're like, you need to speak Spanish or something to prove it. Um, so I, I always give a little bit of background. But yeah, I am half Mexican and I'm, I'm proud of it. That is, I identify primarily as Mexican. Um, and with that, when I was younger, um, I spent a lot of time around my grandparents and my family. Actually, I got uh, two relatives here today, my aunt and my cousin. Uh, but part of that was, that's why I learned Spanish, was by spending so much time around them. Um, I would never have considered myself to have been fluent, but I could certainly communicate. I had to communicate if I wanted to eat. Um, so I, I, I communicated, and I could definitely understand what was being said to me. Now, that's when I was young. That's when I was in, like, second grade. Now... I can barely speak it, all right? I, I, have, I have completely lost Spanish. It's extremely, extremely broken. Uh, I was in Mexico about four years ago on a missions trip, and, and there were so many times where, I mean, just how, how broken my Spanish was was so apparent. I, one guy, uh, we were in the airport, um, and I, I wanted to pray for him, and I go up to him, and, and I was asking him if his, if his leg hurt, and, uh, and, and then I said, uh, can, I, can I pray for you? And I said, puedo llorar por ti. And, uh, and, he, and he said, he said, yeah, he's okay. So I prayed for him, and, and uh, I'm like, why was he so confused? And then throughout the missions trip, I kept asking people, can I, puedo llorar por ti? Um, and that's when I realized that llorar means to cry. 
So I was asking, can I cry for you? Well, orar is to pray. Very similar, but it's, it's different. But anyways, it was just apparent to me. I'm like, man, I, I am really, really out of this. Um, and you know what happens when you stop using a language? You lose it. You, when you stop using a language, you, you lose it. It has to be a constant thing. So I've, I've made it my goal that I'm going to relearn Spanish. Part of it is because I'm just proud of my heritage. But also, in complete honesty, my fiancé finds it very attractive. So I'm going, I'm going to brush up on my Spanish. But here's the thing. Even though you've possessed something at one time, and you're fluent in it, if you don't use it, you lose it. But the key thing is, you need somebody else who then has it to teach you once again, and to restore you and bring you back to the place that you were at. And we see a very similar dynamic play out with the nation of Israel. You see, God entrusted them with his plan of redemption for the world. And he required their obedience to that plan. But they were disobedient. And they were not acting on the things that he gave to them. So they lost it. And you see, part of it was that the plan of redemption that God gave to them required major changes. They were very familiar with how all the other nations around them behaved. That was normal. That was common to them. But when God came and said, will you serve me? And they said, yes. He gave them very uh, big changes that they needed to follow through on that were very divergent from the cultures that were around them. And this, this caused some issues for them because they didn't live up to these changes very often. They had times of success and obedience, but they were very few in comparison to how many times they failed to follow through. And so eventually they completely lost the plan of redemption that was given to them. I've already said, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. And this is what ended up happening to, to Israel. They became like every other nation around them. They became lost and ignorant of the ways of God. Now, I want to be clear. This was not, this was not God's um, stripping it out of their hands. That's not what happened. Yes, God was angry at them because they were not following through on what they said they were going to follow through on. But the reason they lost it was because they weren't doing it. They lost it because they weren't doing it. It wasn't because God stripped it out of their hands. They simply no longer understood what it meant to be an Israelite. So, the God, so, so God sent prophets to them. And these prophets were sent to lead them into repentance. They would go and say, Israel, Israel, you are not doing what the Lord God has asked of you. Repent, turn around, come back to the Lord, behave as he has told you to behave. But they wouldn't listen to these prophets. In fact, they would often kill the prophets because they didn't like the message that they were coming with. They would say, no, 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 everything is fine. Everything is fine. You're the liar because you're over here telling us that we need to repent. So they would kill them. And finally, God sent his final prophet to come and to lead them into repentance. And it was his very son. The opening verses of Hebrews put it best. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So we see a similar dynamic, just to give some background here, we see a similar dynamic play out with uh, Jesus and his relationship to his disciples and then his relationship to Israel. Uh, many of you know that Jesus spoke in parables quite often. 
But what you'll see happen is Jesus will speak in a parable, and then the disciples will come to him afterwards, and they'll say, Teacher, what does this mean? And he'll, then he'll actually give them the deeper meaning of the parable. Now, the reason this is significant is because there was 12 disciples. That was no accident. Because the 12 disciples represented the original 12 tribes of Israel. So Jesus takes the 12, and he would preach the parable to the masses, but then he would give the actual understanding to the 12 disciples, just like God did with Israel. He gave Israel his plan of redemption, and he sent them out to the nations to be a light. Well, because Israel has now forgotten the message, they've become just like all the other nations that didn't understand the ways of God. So now God had to restart again. So he sends Jesus, his prophet, who now has 12 disciples who understand the plan of redemption. And they are sent to the nation of Israel and then eventually to the rest of the world with this message. Because they didn't use it and they forgot it. And because they forgot it, they needed somebody who knew it to teach it to them once again. Just like an, a language. And the Corinthians were in a very similar situation. When Paul goes to them and he preaches the gospel in the city of Corinth. Um, and then what Paul would do is, is he would stay sometimes for like six months, three months, two years, varying times and varying places. And he would move on, but he would always stay in touch with the churches that he started and that he would minister to. And for this reason, that's why we have a lot of the letters that we have from Paul, because he would move on and then hear of something that was going on. And because he couldn't go back in person, he would write a letter in his place and a messenger would take it to them. And so he, he's alerted of some things that are happening in Corinth, and that necessitates the letter to the Corinthians, which we have First Corinthians. Um, First Corinthians is one of Paul's harsher letters. I would say it's, it's harsh, the harshest, only second to the letter to the Galatians. Um, there's some pretty severe things that are happening there. And the, the Corinthians, they got distracted by what was given to them by God. So Paul needed to, dis he needed to correct their distraction. You see, they, they started claiming allegiance to certain people. Uh, some of them would say, well, I follow Apollos. And some would say, I follow Cephas. And some would say, that's Peter, by the way. Some would say, I, I follow um, Jesus. And, and they were being very divided and the people that they were, quote unquote, following. And the reason why is they were basing these people, they were looking at it just on a, a human, by human standards. Uh, they were looking at eloquence of speech. They were looking at their wisdom. And, and whoever was more eloquent or more wise would say, that's the person that I am following. And so Paul needs to correct this. He's saying you can't view us the same way that you view the philosophers of your time. They go around with their own philosophies and they go around on their own eloquence of speech to get you to follow them. But we, we are all servants of the same wisdom. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whether you follow Apollos or Paul or Peter does not matter because you're really following Jesus. We've just been given the message. But they got distracted. And so Paul needs to, he needs to correct this. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 16. He says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. 
The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So Paul, first off, identifies the origin of the wisdom that he has and the wisdom that he's passed on to the Corinthians. And he says, this came by way of the Spirit. This came from heaven. This was no human invention that we gave to you. This was a heavenly message. But then he says, let's deal with the origin of your behavior. Let's deal with the origin of your thinking. And that's why he says this in 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3, he says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Isn't that funny? He said, you're acting like humans. You're called to be more than that. See, here's the thing. They had a godly truth, but they put it in a worldly mind. Jesus says this, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. Heavenly truth requires a heavenly mind to carry it. It's like kids uh, listening to music. Uh, Jimmy Fallon has a great uh, section on his show, by the way, called Misheard Lyrics. Uh, I'll share a couple that are from his show in a second. But uh, when I was younger, I, I grew up on gospel music. Uh, I grew up on Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond and Kirk Carr and, 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 and all these uh, uh, gospel artists. And there was one song that I heard all the time. And the song actually goes, if you've been delivered, stand up on your feet and praise the Lord. But because I was young and I wasn't able to track with what was going on, I thought the lyrics were, get your bag of liver, stand up on your feet and praise the Lord. <laughs> I literally had pictures in my mind of people holding bags of like chicken liver in the sanctuary. I'm like, that's odd, but I'm just going to sing it because it's a gospel song. So back there, Jim, get your bag of liver. <laughs> you see, when we put the gospel in a worldly mind, it, it corrupts the message. Uh, here's just a couple other ones that are fun. Um, I want to rock and roll all night and part of every day. I like rock and rolling, but I, I don't want to do it all the time. Just part of every day. Uh, here's another one that came from uh, Jimmy Fallon's show uh, from We Will Rock You. Uh, instead of waving their banner all over the place, apparently there's something with, with human organs here, waving their bladder all over the place. <laughs> you see, we have a tendency to misunderstand lyrics. It's a form of communication, but it has music behind it. It's at varying paces, and so sometimes we can miss understand and distort the message that's actually being communicated. The point that I'm trying to make here is the same thing happens when we have a worldly mindset and we take a heavenly message. We, we run the, uh, the risk of, of disrupting the message. 
And this is what the Corinthians precisely had done. The unrenewed mind makes the gospel into something that it is not. The Corinthians, they took the gospel and they called it wisdom, but they thought that it was equivalent to all the other wisdom they had heard from philosophers of their time. They, they made it on the same level as worldly things. They did not keep the two things separate. And it led them to claim Paul and his companions as if they were mere philosophers. He's saying, we're not philosophers. We're servants of God. And what you have is not worldly wisdom. It's heavenly wisdom. They took a heavenly message and made it a common message. Church, can I, can I share some things with you? We do this all the time, unknowingly. Where we take something that is of God and we make it common. I'm sorry to inform you of this, but the Bible is not a series of inspirational quotes. If you want inspirational quotes, I'm pretty sure Oprah has some kind of email blast that you can get every day. But that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a heavenly message that's been given to us. It's not just good ideas. It's a refining fire. It is the testimony of those who came before us of the living God and what he's doing now and our part to play in it. Here's another one. I'm sorry to inform you, but God is not your feel-good pill. Our consumeristic culture has taught us that we go and just get what we need from things to satisfy ourselves. I'm sorry to inform you that God is not that. And we cannot take the worldly mindset and put God into it and treat Him as something that we just go to to get the things that we need so we can feel good about ourselves. He is your King. He is your Lord. He is not your feel-good pill. God becomes an object of our consumerism when we're supposed to be consumed by Him. The unrenewed mind makes the gospel, it makes God, it makes the things from heaven into something that they are not. Listen, this is what the renewed mind asks. It says, how can the gospel use me? Not how can I use the gospel for my benefit, but it says, how can the gospel use me? Instead of making something out of the gospel that it's not, it desires for the gospel to make something out of us. That is how the renewed mind operates. The gospel is about love. If it's about joy, if it's about peace and loving kindness, if it's about self-control, the renewed mind says, how do I become that? How do I become that to the people that are around me? This is how the renewed mind operates. You become the object. This is how the gospel message comes to life in and through you. It's the renewed mind that brings the transition between immaturity and maturity, which Paul points out to the Corinthians. Maturity is marked by our selflessness, while immaturity is marked by our selfishness. Look at how the scriptures define maturity. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, first two verses. It says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. 
He said, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Paul literally tells the Corinthians, he said, I needed to talk to you and I still need to talk to you differently because of your immaturity. Paul was essentially saying, I need to talk baby talk to you. I need to talk baby talk to you because of your immaturity in the spirit. I just imagine Paul saying, so what, what do we do when we hurt somebody? What do we do when we hurt somebody? Is that how we treat our friends? Come on, Corinthians. Corinthians, we share our toys, right? You can picture it. You, you hear every parent talking this way. It's baby talk because you're talking down to the level that they are on. And here's the other thing. Have you ever noticed that baby talk is always in the plural form? It's what do we do when we, uh, when we hurt somebody? It, what we share our toys, right? Uh, is that how we treat our friends? Why is it always in the plural language? It's because you're trying to teach the child how to incorporate themselves into the commonly held understanding of what it means to operate as a human being. So you are speaking in the plural because you want them to grasp, oh, this is how we, therefore I, behave. Well, Paul needs to talk baby talk to the Corinthians because they are not behaving the way that the body of Christ behaves. So he needs to come down to their level and talk baby talk to them to remind them, is this how we behave? You call yourself a follower of Christ. Is this how we behave? Is Christ divided? Why do you claim allegiance to one and not to the rest? Because it's about the message and not about the person. You're not behaving like you know you're supposed to behave as a follower of Jesus Christ. And when I talk about behavior, I'm not referring to the tradition of a certain denomination or whatever. I'm referring to the biblical standard of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. So Paul had to talk baby talk to them because of their immaturity. Spiritual maturity and the renewed mind go hand in hand. They are not separate things. You cannot have one without the other. The worldly mind begins being renewed by practicing basic spiritual practices. Look at Hebrews 5, 11 through uh, chapter 6 and 3. It says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. Although you should be fluent by this, this point, teaching others the language, we have to teach you the language all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. You know, in the, physical, in the physical body, there's a level of growth that just happens on its own. 
You don't have to do anything for your baby teeth to come in. You don't need to try for that. You don't need to try to get the baby teeth to fall out for the next set of teeth to come in. You don't need to do anything for that. It will just happen naturally. I know for a fact that we don't have to try to start puberty because if that was the case, then no kid would ever start the process. But puberty is something that just happens naturally. It just starts to change. Your body is designed to grow and grow and grow. And it does these things uh, on its own for the most part. But this is not so spiritually. Spiritually speaking, there is not automatic growth. It does not work the same way. It works like it, but it's not the same. This is why you can have two people that have both been following Christ for 10 years and be completely different in their maturity levels. You can have one that's mature and one that's immature. You can have one that forgives on their own while the other one needs five counseling sessions before they even consider forgiving somebody. You can have one that constantly needs to be encouraged, constantly needs encouragement for other people, while you have the other who, in the quiet of their own home, strengthens themselves in the Lord and in His presence. You can have one that's always looking for a word from God from others, while the other one is giving the word of God to others. You see, I, I want to be clear here. There's nothing wrong with counseling. There's nothing wrong with needing encouragement. There's nothing wrong with hoping that somebody has a word from God for you. I tell you right now, I I get all those things. I get counseling from other pastors and leaders. I need encouragement. I I hope that God has a word uh, for me through other people. Those are all good things. But here is the problem. When that's the only way that you know how to get your nutrition, it's the sign of immaturity. When you don't know how to to get it for yourself from the Lord, when you constantly need other people to do it for you, it is a sign of immaturity. Now, if you're just beginning in your walk with Christ, that's what you're supposed to be. But if you're down the road and you need these things still and behaving that way, that's a sign of immaturity. If I told my mom that I needed her to feed me, to spoon feed me, as a 27-year-old, almost 28-year-old, you guys would think something was weird with that. But it's the same thing spiritually. We need to grow to a place where we become givers, not just takers like infants are. So how do we get there? How do we get to maturity? Maturity comes through constant discernment. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 5, verse 14. It says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Well, what's, what is the food that's being referred to here? Paul also uses the metaphor of milk and solid food. What, what is the food? The food is teaching. The food is teaching. When Paul said it, he was saying, the teaching that I gave to you, that that was the milk. He's saying we should have moved on from those things by now, but I still need to give you milk because you're infants. So the food that we need for maturity is teaching. Look at what 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, 
for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So maturity is defined by taking the the teaching that we've been given in the scriptures and through applying it to our lives over and over and over again. Constantly applying the teaching that we've been given. And the the way that we apply it is we apply it in order for discernment. What is of God and what is not of God? So we take the teaching, apply it, and we find out what is of God and what is not of God. As we constantly do this over and over again, that is what builds up maturity. Look, you can know all you want to know about different diet plans. You can know all you want to know about different workout routines and and this and that. But if you never do it, do you grow? No, you do not grow. You have to actually apply what you've been given in order to bring growth about. And the same is true with the Word of God. You must apply it. It's good to memorize Scripture, but if you're not applying it, then you're not growing. You must apply it to your life. Discernment in the Greek is defined as a thorough cross-examination from top to bottom. And it results in a judgment or a conclusion. Results in a final judgment or a conclusion. So what are we looking for? When we're examining different different things in our lives, different opportunities, we're examining, we're looking for discernment. What are we looking for? We're looking for glory. We're looking for glory. You see, the spiritual man can see something that the carnal man cannot. And it's the glory of God. That's why there were some who looked at Jesus and thought he was just an Israelite like the rest. But then there were some who looked at Jesus. And through discernment, they realized there's glory resting on this man. This is the Son of God. It is not what you others say he is. He is not a mere Israelite. The renewed mind is able to see the glory in the situation. And discerns between what is of glory and what is not of glory. Discernment's a thorough investigation of the glory and the splendor of God in all circumstances of life. The renewed mind is one that has been trained to see glory. We need discernment in our lives because, spoiler alert, the Bible does not tell you what to do in every single situation of your life. There's not a book of with your name written on it where God just tells you every single decision to make. That's not in Scripture. But what is in Scripture is the glory of God. And it's, that's what we use. That, that is our teaching. That's what we use to discern. So we take the teaching and apply it to every circumstance in our life over and over again. And we learn how to, how to discern His glory. As we close during worship, uh, I feel like the, the Spirit just gave me something specific to, to really illustrate this, and, 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 and I just want to leave this with you. In photography, photography means to paint with light. That's why if you're in a dark room, you can't take a photo, because there's no light to paint with. There's no light to offer discernment about what's actually happening in front of you. It's darkness. Paul often refers to the people of the world as people that are in darkness. Why? Because they're not able to discern. 
They're not able to discern what is of God and what is of not, so they stay in darkness. And they constantly choose the things of the world over and over and over again. But what happens? What happens with us as we see the light? As we see the light over and over and over again, what begins to happen is that as the light comes in, as the light comes in, as the light comes in, the picture becomes discernible. And we are to be a people whose minds have been painted with glory. As glory comes in, as glory comes in, our mind is renewed and renewed and renewed. And the darkness flees and now we become people of light, able to see clearly what is before us. Not with a carnal mind, but with a spiritual mind. That's why Paul says... The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but the carnal man cannot make a judgment on the spiritual man. Why? Because the the carnal man cannot see what the spiritual man is seeing. Therefore, what the carnal man has to offer will not stand. I remember when I was in college, we had a Bible study on campus, and the irony is very deep here. We had a young man join us. His name was Messiah. And he sat down in the Bible study and we started, we, we, we started the Bible study up. We were talking about the Word of God. And he would jump in and comment on it and comment on it. And I noticed that some of the things he was saying were just a little bit weird. One time he was talking about, like, the vastness of the ocean and something about, like, I couldn't even keep up with it. And the Spirit of God spoke to me in the moment and said, He's not saved. He does not understand what you guys are speaking of right now. And I looked at the man and I said, Messiah, have you ever received Christ? He's like, well, no. I said, well, that's why you can't understand anything that we're talking about right now. Because you don't have the Spirit of God in you to discern this. You have a purely carnal mind trying to understand spiritual things. And you don't have what is needed to discern it. But we are not that. We are called to be a people painted with glory. That can discern what is of God and what is of the world. And we choose God time and time again. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you for our physical minds. And we thank you that you have given us the the capacity to know you. And to understand you, Father. We thank you that you have given us the ability to mature And to be used by you. To grow past the stages of needing people to constantly do things for us. But then growing up in you and actually becoming a source of those things. Helping to build other people up in your ways. Father, we thank you that you have called us to serve you in this way. And I pray, I pray right now over each individual that's here and that's watching online, Father. And I ask that you would give us all a heart for a renewed mind. Father, I ask that you would help us to be sponges of your word, Father. That it would become what we use to discern. Not worldly wisdom, but wisdom from on high. Wisdom that leads us into glory, not into shame. Father, I ask that you would help us, give us the grace to renew our minds day after day, to think and act and behave more like you. Father, I also ask that you 
would help to undo some of the patterns that we've created in our minds. That conforms to worldly ways and and not ways of your kingdom. Ways of thinking that actually damage our identity in you instead of build it up and reaffirm it. Father, I just pray freedom right now over those patterns that have been built up. We just sang this morning that you break every chain. You break every vice. You break every foothold that we've given to the enemy. And you break every mindset that does not conform with heaven. We just invite your spirit to come in right now and start that work of of rewiring our minds to see glory. We just thank you for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, be blessed as you go. Go and take the word and use it constantly. Be blessed. We'll see you next week.